Hi, this is the Beach Boys. Al, Bruce, Carl, Mike, Brian, and Dennis. Welcome to Good Vibrations, a Beach Boys podcast, to episode four. Today we talk with Mark Lynette. Mark, of course, is an engineer, mixer, master, audio, yeah, producer, you name it. He's been working on various Beach Boys and Brian Wilson solo projects for several decades now. Uh, recently, Mark was involved with the 50th anniversary Pet Sounds box set, as well as 2015's Party Uncovered and Unplugged 2 CD set, and then, as well as, more recently, the two-disc Becoming the Beach Boys, the complete Height and Dorinda Morgan sessions. Today, we talk about with Mark about all three of these releases. I wanted to get started by asking Mark what the differences were between the 50th anniversary set and 1997's original Pet Sounds box set. Here's what Mark had to say. I mean, the biggest change to me is in the packaging. Um, uh, this, this time around, it's more of a, uh, uh, a photo collection. Uh, and last time, it was you know much more um, interviews and uh, uh, you know very detailed uh, sessionography. As far as as far as the audio, um, most of the of the set. Uh, is the same material. Um, I don't know what we would have we would have we would have done <laughs> different. Um, it would have been a lot easier to to do what we did uh, twenty years ago. Is that what it is? Yeah. Um, just because the technology has has improved. Uh, when I was doing the box set uh, for the thirtieth anniversary, we were still editing the sessions uh, on audio tape, you know, with razor blades, and now, of course. Um, you know, we can do it in a digital workstation. So, for example, uh, the recent um, party uh, sessions, two CD box, uh, was was a much uh, a much easier thing to put together, and you know, because of the technology, and not just so much for the time it took, but because we could keep moving in a in a in, in, a, in a straight line, and uh, you know, sort of keep keep whittling it down and altering it. Um, with, without losing anything, but back to the Pet Sounds, the current Pet Sounds box. Uh, you know, we did add—I've forgotten now. You could look it up. Half a dozen, ten uh, live recordings of uh, Pet Sounds songs through the years, and then uh, uh, also compiled a uh, high-resolution uh, Blu-ray disc that comes with the set that includes the mono, the stereo, the surround mix, as well as an assembled. Um, instrumental mix, and as far as the mono, uh, for the first time we used the 1972, I believe it is, uh, Carl Wilson uh, uh, supervised uh, master of the original album that, that came out on Warner Brothers as uh, well. I guess first as a twofer with Carl and the Passions, and then if memory serves, it was reissued um, with a brown cover instead of green as a standalone. Mm-hmm. What what uh, was that? Because that was the best available in terms of when you listened to it. That sounded like it was the the best option. Well, we haven't had the original Mono Master uh, for years. Uh, <laughs> somebody let it. Somebody uh, made off with it around. I would guess around 1990 because it was there when we did the first mastering of this album in '87, and when I went back. Uh, to do the Good Vibrations box, it was nowhere to be found, and it never has been. So since then, we've most everybody's mostly been using uh, what's called the New York copy, which is a safety copy 
that was made in uh, 1966, and it's not a particularly, you know, good good sounding um, tape compared to the original. I mean, just you know, just being a copy. Uh, the only exception to that is, um, I believe, on the 40th anniversary, we well, we we found um, a digital copy that we had, that I had made back in '87. Um, and comparing that to the New York copy, we thought that was an improvement, so we used that. This time around, somebody at the label uh, suggested auditioning the um, the Warner copy, which was made, uh, you know, around 1971, somewhere in there. And uh, everybody agreed that it that it just sounded better than the New York copy, perhaps because the New York copy has been used so much, it's kind of starting to wear out. Um, mm-hmm. And, and the, the Warner Brothers one has always had a cachet with the fans um, who thought that it was perhaps the best-sounding uh, vinyl version of the album. Obviously, it's mastered slightly differently, um, uh, you know, having been done from scratch in, in the 70s. So uh, we, you know, we agreed to go with that one. And I should point out that the, the whole box was remastered this time around. Um, you know, every time we go forward with better technology... Um, there are always gains we can make. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really, one of the things when I first listened to the new box uh, was I, I was kind of really pleasantly surprised with the live recordings. I, I felt that, you know, of course, back in the day, in 66, when re- live recordings were probably much, much more archaic, but I, I really kind of felt like I was there listening to kind of the, the bass, felt really right up front, and uh, I, I kind of liked the flaw, the flawed aspect of it, and I mean, you could hear it all. You could hear the mistakes, you could hear, it, it really kind of, for me personally, brought brought forth, you, you really got a true sense of the Beach Boys as a performing unit in, at that time, and I thought that was a great addition to the box. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they were a great performing unit, and as far as 66 goes, uh, we should be releasing the entire uh, 66, the, two, the two 66 uh, Michigan um, shows uh, by the end of the year. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Um, you, you mentioned the uh, Beach Boys Party Uncovered and Unplugged, and I'd like to go back and revisit that for a few minutes. Um, that, to me... Uh, has got me paying attention more to Beach Boy sessions than ever before in my life. And I think it's probably, for me personally as a fan of the Beach Boys, possibly the most important uh, release ever in their catalog. Uh, Because it's even, I think it helps me appreciate the Pet Sound Sessions more. It helps me appreciate the Smile Sessions more. It helps me appreciate everything about them as a group more. Getting to hear them work together, jam together in the in the studio environment where they're <laughs> well historically they're just knocking something out but it's uni- it's really unique in that it's this group of guys who are just kind of playing the 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 flavor of the day oh let's play the stones or let's play dylan or it's it's very interesting to me to hear that interaction and how good they really really are and what what inspired what was your inspiration and motivation to release that set well it's it's a project actually that that, that we've talked about for a long time um, you know ever, ever since I first you know put up some of those tapes or actually I think since I put up the final master and, and turned off the one track of uh, the quote-unquote party overdubs um, 
yeah, the first impression is, is you know, this is kind of like the Beach Boys unplugged. And then to dig into the, uh, you know, the session, the session tapes, and um, uh, you know, exp- expand on that idea. And that's what it is. I mean, you know, they're they're, you know, they're trying to make a product. You, you can you can uh, you can tell that. I mean, Brian's obviously got a list, uh, you know, songs that he thinks they should do. But they, you know, they're, it's it's fairly casual, and uh, yeah, they are. It, it does display just how uh, how talented they they really were. Um, and you can, yeah, there are other there are other sessions where you can you can sense that, but they're mostly tracking dates. You know, unfortunately, uh, we don't have a lot of um, Beach Boy vocal sessions. Mostly, you know, with a few exceptions, mostly what we have is just the finished vocals, even on the multi-track. And um, while there supposedly were a lot of log tapes uh, made by Chuck Britz at the time, those have not survived, with a few exceptions. And so we don't have an awful lot um, of material, certainly po- uh, pre, um, pre-67, uh, where you can really you know, get, get a full sense of just you know, how, how they work together and how, how good they all were um, at working together. You get a sense of it also from the live recordings, um, it, people do seem to be pleasantly, pleasantly surprised at you know how how competent, shall we say, um, they were, and to some degree that's just a factor of uh, of, of the whole um, uh, the time period. I mean, uh, you didn't have all this this the technology like we have now to uh, you know, shall we say cor- you know correct your mistakes or to rely on, and uh, so it came down it came down to talent and ability. And uh, which is all you know, which is also the reason why in LA, uh, you know, most all the producers hired the, the wrecking crew, and there was an equivalent in Chicago and Detroit and New York, because that's what you needed to get your you know get your recording done in a reasonable amount of time. And, and these boys were kind of you know were one of the exceptions that uh, you know early on and even into um, uh, the Summer Days album. They still played on some of their uh, uh, their basic tracks, and were really good at it. How many times must a man look up 
Before he can see the sky Yes, and how many ears must one man have Before he can hear people cry Yes, and how many deaths will it take Till he knows that too many people have died The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind The answer is blowing in the wind How many years can a mountain exist Before it's washed to the sea? Yes, and how many years can some people exist Before they're allowed to be free Yes, and how many times can a man turn his head Pretending he just doesn't see The answer, my friends, is blowing in the wind The answer is blowing in the wind Wow. That's Al Jardine performing Bob Dylan's Blown in the Wind, and that's on their 2015 two-disc set release, Beach Boys Party, Uncovered and Unplugged. Mark Lent was also involved on Becoming the Beach Boys, the recent omnivore two-disc set. It's the complete Height and Dorinda Morgan sessions. I asked Mark about his involvement on that. Here's what he had to say. Well, I, had, I, I, I assembled it and, uh, uh, you know, mastered it, and uh, what little editing was required... Um, uh, you know, really just tightening it up so you don't have these huge gaps after Hype Morgan says take five before they before they actually start playing. So it's mostly a, mostly a mastering uh, mostly a mastering job. I mean, a few of those things needed to be uh, mixed, the uh, the binaural ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's mostly you know it's mostly a history uh, history um, uh, presentation, and an important one. I mean, you know, been, been uh, <laughs> these things have been partially released. You know, a lot of it not released. You know, for for years and years. So to finally, uh, you know, finally be able to get it get it released was great. Yeah. Now, what as someone who is as extremely familiar with the Beach Boys catalog as you are, what uh, what was kind of nice to hear? What do you what did you enjoy hearing the most or being exposed to the most that you probably have heard before in the past? But you know, for this particular project. Uh, well, I mean, just just I mean, I, you know, just to hear. Uh, Again, how good they were at the very beginning of their career. I mean, this is, you know, the first time they've ever been in a recording studio, the first couple of sessions, and yet they are extremely competent. Uh, you know, they're singing and playing live for the most part, uh, with the exception of the two Randy, uh, 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 you know, the two Hyde Morgan tracks. Uh, and they're, <laughs> they're really good. They don't sound like a bunch of, you know, a bunch of kids uh, from uh, from Hawthorne, and uh, part of that I think is just you know that you had to have a certain you know level of proficiency and competency to you know get a shot at making a, a record. But but past that, they they just really you know they really were good even at that point, and you can get you can certainly get the sense of you know what. Um, the formative nature of the group, and of course, you know, I had never really listened to the early versions of Surfer Girl or, or Surf and Safari. I mean, I'd heard them in passing, 
but never really heard them in, in uh, terms of quality. And then, of course, to hear all the uh, you know all the different takes. Yeah, it's still striking to me that the same group who's on this two disc collection is the same group we hear within a four per- four year period of time doing pet sounds. Brian's evolution is is striking. Yeah, I mean, well, that's absolutely correct. I mean, it is an awfully short period of time to, to, I mean, I forget what Pet Sounds was in terms of albums. I mean, it's like 9 or 10 or 12 or whatever it is. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 that's true. Um, but it's less, I mean, to me, it's, a, it's sort of less surprising when you hear how good they were just coming from nowhere. I mean, just coming from, you know, sitting around uh, playing and singing at home. Um, they're, they're, they're <laughs> um, the, you know, the, the ability and the creativity, um, you know, is already uh, uh, pretty well formed, which kind of makes sense since, yeah, within four years uh, we're going to be doing Pet Sounds and then on to Smile and then, you know, I mean, it's... But it is, you know, any anytime you look at the timeline, <laughs> um, it's, it, it's pretty... It's pretty remarkable. I mean, similar to you know the, you know those those mop tops. Um, uh, when you look at their timeline in terms of how much, well, of course, there there was a. I was watching the uh, Ron Howard thing, and uh, you know, talking about George Bark and Brian Epstein saying that they wanted to put out. Well, I think it was a, a single every three months and an album every six months or something like that. I mean, there was a real plan, and that. But that's what you did. I mean, you you uh, you needed. Uh, to do that, um, to, you know, to uh, keep your audience, I guess. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't just go away uh, for you know for two years and make an album. Um, the public would you know would forget you. So I think that's I, mean, I think that's a good thing. I think I think that kind of uh, drive uh, from the industry, uh, you know, would probably had a lot of benefits. I mean, well, you look at look at uh, Party. I mean, that's. You know that that clearly was a satisfy the record company, uh, you know, uh, project. And um, on the other side, Brian is you know Brian's already starting to work on Pet Sounds, but it's it's still a really good record and probably a record that they wouldn't have made, um, you know, had had there not been a demand from the label that hey we need more product. Mm-hmm. Well, you you really did. <laughs> You really did a service, I think. I, to, again, you, you did a tremendous service, to, to, I think, to, to fans. I, I hope everyone pays attention to that release because that's the studio fly on the wall, you know, experience. And um, there's there's just nothing like it. I mean, I, I just think it, I think it, it really uh, speaks to the, to the group, and I think it's to you know in years to come. I hope people are still picking that release up and 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 digging into those two discs because I think it's as important an element of of who they were as a band and 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 what they went on to do as anything else in their catalog. And I personally appreciate that you did that. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Thanks. I you know thing one thing that always that impressed me is you know is the camaraderie and. Um, you know, um, and the enjoyment they seem to be, you know, they seem to be having for the most part, um, you know, in doing this. And, uh, you know, on, to- on top of the proficiency, I mean, I think that's a lot of what, what comes across. And I think I mentioned in the liner notes, one thing that impressed me was that you know, when, when Brian and Chuck Britz assembled, you know, what became the album, what a good job they did, uh, you know, 
making it sound like one continuous uh, sort of jam session, and then you know putting putting uh, putting the the, the party goers um, on top of that. Uh, yeah, it's really you know it's really effective, and it, and it it it, uh, it sounds like an easy thing to do, but but it's not. It, it's a lot harder to make that that do that and uh, you know have it sound authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, I think I think it's more interesting with the party stuff taken away because their 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 virtuosity comes comes through. But that wasn't what the record was designed to be. I mean, it's um, uh, you know it's 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 meant to be a fun party record, and it is. And yeah. the other thing about the the thing that always impressed me was you know especially when you listen to the session for Barbara Ann, which literally takes about twenty minutes and turns into whatever it was a number twelve hit or something. Um, it's another demonstration of just how things worked in those days. I mean, you could do something. Yeah, it's a long list of recordings that were huge hits that were, you know, done as afterthoughts. Uh, I think Twist and Shout and Blue Moon by the Marcells, you know, all, you know, records that were, oh, we got 15 minutes left over, let's, you know, try this. And, um, uh, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, just a general aspect about that that's, that's really neat because you're... Um, you're catching something as it happens that's really good um, and uh, something almost impossible to do, uh, you know, anymore. It just doesn't, you know. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite moment on that two-disc two set? Oh, boy, I don't, it's hard for me to say. I haven't listened to it recently. Um, I think, I think uh, you know, maybe some of the things that didn't make the final album, like, well, Ruby Baby and, uh, uh, um, I guess, I don't remember, I can't remember, well, we did One Kiss Lights. There were a lot of coaster stuff that didn't make the record. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think those, you know, th- those things. And then, I mean, I love Al's version of, uh, uh, is it Blown in the Wind? Yeah, or, yeah, isn't that great? Yeah. yeah, and he really liked that. I mean, you know, um, um, he'd, he'd forgotten that that was his part. Uh, and uh, you know, of course, on the on the finished album, they kind of you know, uh, what does he do? Times are changing. Yeah. yeah, they kind of you know, they kind of goof that up with the party overdubs, and uh, you know, it's it it's I think it's better when it's a little more serious. I mean, you know, the whole the whole thing. I mean, all the stuff they were just you know tossing around, some of which were um, uh, you know meant to be tried, and some of which they're just. They're just goofing out. One thing that I love, by the way, is when you hear Carl starts playing "Ticket to Ride." He's playing the he's playing the guitar lick on "Ticket to Ride," uh, which <laughs> and you can't help but wonder. I mean, I could when I heard it, it's like, wait a minute, didn't Brian use that for the for for uh, John B? Yeah, he did. <laughs>
awful lot to like there. I mean, I, lo- I love Mike's, uh, uh, you know, sort of goofy take on uh, Sonny Bono's uh, Laugh at Me, you know, which was, uh, you know, Sonny Bono relating to getting thrown out of Martoni's and all that. Um, like I said, I mean, it's all, there's, there's all this fun going on. Mm-hmm. And um, even though they're even though they're working and, you know, you hear them talk about trying to fit this in between the shows and the tours and all that, uh, you know, they still sound like they're having a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, knowing how quickly it was recorded, um, you know, again, demonstrates just, you know, just, just how good they were at, as performers. Hi, this is Mike Love of the Beach Boys, and you're listening to Good Vibrations, a Beach Boys podcast. Thanks, Mike. And I'd also like to thank our special guest today, Mark Lynette. I appreciate Mark taking the time to talk about the 50th anniversary Pet Sounds box set, the two-disc set, Beach Boys Party, Uncovered and Unplugged from 2015, and the recent Becoming the Beach Boys, the complete Height and Dorinda Morgan sessions released from Omnivore. All are available now. Coming up in a very short time, I'll have episode number five, and it's going to be with Dean Torrance. Episode six will be with Mike Love, and then couple of other surprises, too, guaranteed. In the meantime, go to Facebook. Type in Endless Summer Quarterly if you're not already on Facebook and you haven't liked our page, head on over there. And be sure to like us and be sure to subscribe right away. Easy way to subscribe is to go to esquarterly.com. You're going to see a jukebox. It's going to start playing some music. And right behind there is a palm tree, and there's a signpost at the very top of that palm tree. It says... Subscribe to the magazine. You click on that, it'll take you right to the page with all the information you need to take out a one-year subscription. What that entitles you to is four 48-page digest-size magazines. That's right, 48 pages of content, exclusive content. We have interviews, exclusive interviews with Mike Love, Brian Wilson, Al Jardine, and Bruce Johnston. If you really want to dig into Pet Sounds and you want something to accompany that 50th anniversary box set that I spoke to Mark with, then you really want to get a subscription on the summer quarterly and get the Pet Sounds issue. And that was the summer 2016 edition and the fall 2016 edition. And it's a two-part issue of coverage. In the first summer 2016 edition, I interviewed Mike Love, Al Jardine and Bruce Johnston about their experiences as touring members of the Beach Boys and then coming home into the studio and working on Pet Sounds. In the fall 2016 edition of Endless Summer Quarterly, I interviewed Brian about his remembrances and experiences during the Pet Sounds sessions. And all four of the guys, Brian, Mike, Al, and Bruce, talk about the Good Vibration sessions, along with two of the Wrecking Crew members, Hal Blaine and Don Randy. It's really informative in those two books together, those two issues, the Summer 2016 edition and the Fall 2016 edition, are great accompanying companion pieces to the Pet Sound Sessions box set, the new one, as well as the brand new 12-inch Sunburst Vinyl Good Vibrations uh, release. So look for those if you haven't picked them up already. And in the meantime, if you go to Facebook and like Endless Summer Quarterly's page, be sure to subscribe. you got to do this. I'm, I promise you it'll be worthwhile. We're giving away giveaway after giveaway after giveaway. We've already given away two 50th anniversary box sets signed by Brian, Mike, Al, and Bruce. Uh, some two LPs, Pet Sounds 50th Anniversary 
LPs, mono, signed by Brian, Mike, Alan, Verse. And we're just giving more and more away. We're, we're giving away signed Beach Boys programs. We're giving away uh, DVDs, uh, the new Pet Sounds classic album DVDs from Eagle Rock Entertainment. We're giving it all away. So head over to the page. Make sure that you subscribe today and you, and you watch the Facebook page to see if you've won. Okay? Because we post the winners' names there and then you'll receive a personal email from me. Look forward to having you subscribe. Appreciate your interest in Endless Summer Quarterly. In the meantime, check back real soon. Take care.